Beauty and grace are performed whether or not we feel or sense them. The least we could do is try to show up. And so it's there like it is. putting yourself in those places where beauty and grace or your passion or your calling are being performed. Like showing up is, is it. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is my chance to talk with people who saw something wrong that needed to be made right, and they gave a damn about it. Kate Gazaway is a fascinating person and a good friend of mine. She has a passion for teaching young people around the world how to become photographers and how to make that into a career. She does all this through her nonprofit, Picture Change. In our chat, you'll hear her talk through the heartwarming parts of giving a damn, and you're gonna hear some of the hard parts. I can't wait for you to hear more from Kate. I really enjoyed this chat. Are you ready? Let's go. Kate, welcome. Thanks for joining me here today. Thanks, Nick. Hi. We are in your home in Nashville Mm -hmm. at your kitchen island. Yep. This is uh, real exciting for me. Uh, I've been able to observe all that you're doing over the last few months on social media and in person, and I'm incredibly excited to introduce you and what you're doing to the Let's Give a Damn family. Yeah. No, I'm excited to be here and talk and maybe a little nervous, but I'll get over it soon. You will. You're going to do great. (laughs) You're going to do great. Cool. Well, let's jump right into the interview. We have a lot to cover in the next half hour. Let's start from the beginning. Can you share your story with me? Tell me about your upbringing, the wins, the losses, your social security number. Just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) But tell me what will help us get to know what kinds of things shaped you and prepared you for the change you've set out to make in the world. Tell us about that. Um, I'd, I guess I'd say I grew up in a normal family environment, um, grew up in a suburb south of Atlanta, McDonough. Uh, we had a great house. I have great parents that are still together, two younger twin brothers. They're a couple years younger than me. Um, Christian school all my life. I, and I was involved with everything. And I think maybe I had classic first child syndrome where it's sure. like I was an overachiever and I had to be perfect. And um, I would say growing up, I, I lived up to everyone else's expectations for me. <laughs> um, hmm. Honor roll, soccer team, drama, academic team captain, uh, what a student body vice president, student body chaplain, all that. It was a small school, so I think I I was able to do all those things. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like looking back now, I was like, how did I do that? I was stressed all the time. I'd leave the house at 6 a.m. I wouldn't come home till like 6 or 7 p.m. because oh, soccer. And yeah. Um, and so I think I did a good job of living up to everyone else's expectations. But um, in reality, I, I kind of put that on myself. Um, mm. My parents, they wanted us to succeed, but they were also very gracious about letting us fail properly (laughs) or fail with grace and uh, letting us explore who we wanted to be to an extent, which I'm really grateful for looking back. But at the time I thought I had to be this person and do this and be perfect. And really, I was just like a tightly wound stress ball. Um, (laughs) But yeah, grew up, grew up there. Um, I mean, really had a great childhood. We were outside all the time. We went camping as a family a lot. So that gave me an appreciation for that. And it's kind of I think it's great as a kid because you kind of learn like real world survival skills or, right. oh, you fell, get back up. Like <laughs> everything's not sanitized and sterilized, which, yeah, I don't, my dad would like give us a machete and a saw and be like, all right, go play. So we'd go off in the woods and build forts and things like Super that. Super random. Was your mom like that as well? Yeah. Like get up. It's really weird. My wife and I, this uh-huh. has nothing to do with the interview, but <laughs> she, she is very much the here's your go chop down a tree or like we talked about getting a trampoline for our kids one day and she's like we're not getting one with the the wall around it the net around it." and I'm like yeah we are (laughs) like why would we why would we open up the opportunity for our kids to get hurt and she's like they'll be fine if they break something they'll they'll recover or whatever so that's an interesting dynamic but that's cool that both your parents were like let's go let's go do this stuff yeah and I think too my parents had they both had previous marriages and then they got married at 30 three had me at 35 and my brothers at 37 and so I feel like they already kind of had some grasp of the world versus getting married at like 19 when you still 
don't know. Not that that's bad, but um, no, right? Yeah. I mean, I always had, had some like, experience. Yeah, yeah, and I always had the oldest parents at school gatherings, which I was like, I don't know. You get used to it, but um, yeah. So grew up in that sort of environment, um, which I'm, I had a really great childhood, and I think one of the things that changed or that became put me on a different path than a lot of my childhood friends was that I started traveling when I was 11 and, and mm. even with my my brothers um yeah I went on a mission trip with Teen Missions International when I at was 11. 11 to Australia cool yeah and uh I remember when I was going over there I thought I would be somewhat almost treated like a Hollywood celebrity like because I was this exotic person that I had traveled so far. And then I got there and everyone was like, oh, hey. You know? Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so that kind of put that in perspective of like, oh, like I'm not, like I'm not the queen of my own world. Like there's a sure. huge world out there with a lot of people in it. And, and then even, I mean, my parents always had us volunteering and doing stuff. So working with those who were, air quotes, less fortunate but just kind of helping me realize like they're people. Mm-hmm. It's not a us versus them thing. Um, it's like we're all in this together. So how do we help each other out? So learning that from a young age and seeing that the world was so much bigger than my tiny suburb town mm. was a big deal for me. And that kind of put me on the path that I'm on now as far as um, living, living a life that's bigger than you. Like you're part of it. It's not just you, if that mm. makes sense. Uh, yeah, so grew up, finished high school with honors. Uh, I went to Tacoa Falls Bible College for a couple years because I wanted to be a missionary. Sweet. Um, and then after my freshman year, I switched to interpersonal communications because I did love talking with people and meeting people. Um, then I did a study abroad in Australia in Sydney at Wesley Institute. And that's where I really kind of fell in love with photography, um, capturing things, the technical aspects of it. Hmm. So yeah, in Australia, I studied, I did Aboriginal studies, ethics, and photography classes. And after that, I was like, okay, I want to be a photographer. How long were you there? I was in Australia for one semester, so four months. Um, But while I was there, I changed schools and went to Gardner-Webb University. uh, And that's where I graduated from in North Carolina. And I actually left something out. That was impo- like that was like a big thing. Yeah, go that for was it. like the yeah. general overview, um, like on my resume. Um, but in in all of that, uh, I th- I call it who was it? Was it Robert McKee? He calls it the inciting incident. It's the like in a story, it's the door the character walks through that he can no longer return through. Um, the thing that changes everything, the pivot point. And uh, yeah, and so I always think about that and. That moment for me, which it sounds cliche to say it now, but that moment for me is when I went to Africa in 2005. And uh, so I was 19 and we were gonna do AIDS and sex education and leadership training in high schools in Swaziland, Africa. That's like, mm-hmm. it's between um, like uh, Mozambique and South Africa. It's this tiny, tiny country. But at the time, 38% of the 1 million population was infected with AIDS. Oh, wow. And, uh, and that's just the reported ones. Um, sure. So while we, when we got there and in our training, it was just, they're talking about how there's such a stigma around AIDS and those with AIDS. So people don't talk about it yet. A lot of people, especially in the rural areas held to beliefs, like if you have sex with a virgin, you'll be cured of AIDS. So a lot of little girls were being raped and a oh lot of like younger kids were being infected. So that's what we were going into as like, suburbs bible college kids there to do leadership training and definitely like looking back now on that i did not know what i was getting into but i'm kind of glad because what i probably wouldn't have done it if i would have known you know so yeah i went into that um we had great training because it was just kind of like hey like you're not here to save everyone like you're just here to be a friend and um, we had like a leadership curriculum. So we went into a couple different schools around Swaziland and um, yeah, it was really hard. Mm. Cause that was the first time I feel like I saw like the ugly underbelly of the world that is unjust mm. and that things aren't fair. And sure. it's not this whole Disney outlook where it's mm-hmm. like, do your best and you'll be great. Like 
like they didn't have a choice and there's all these little girls that were being hurt and it's just mm. like like what do you do about that and i had two girls in particular come to me like just me and tell me these just terrible terrible horrific stories of things that had happened to them and that was i feel like with our group maybe because we were foreigners removed from the situation that weren't going to stick around um Maybe that was, they felt safe with us to sure. share that because it was someone outside of their normal lives. Um, yeah. And so I hmm. just, I remember on my, my last night there, um, I got a message from one of the, like she was 15 at the time. Um, she's just like, thank you so much for talking to me. But if this torture doesn't end, I'm going to end it myself. Mm. And that was the last thing I heard from her. And so I had the sense of responsibility, like, oh my gosh, she's going to commit. Because she was, she told me how she was thinking about committing suicide because of what had been done to her. Yeah. Um, and so I felt this huge, like overwhelming sense of responsibility and blah, blah, blah. And so I remember um, there was a pastor, we were living at an orphanage there, and there was a pastor that came over and just to talk to us and say bye, and a local pastor. And um, I basically, I was frantic and I was telling him what was happening and he's just like, um, he said, Psalms 126, like, you've come and you've sown in tears, now go out reaping in joy. Like, your job here is done. There's nothing more you can do. Um, and mm. essentially, like, you're not the hero of this situation. Mm -hmm. That's not your job. Um, and he, he talked about how Christ told his disciples, the poor you will always have with you, but me you only have for a little while. So there's always going to be AIDS and rape and injustice yeah. and poverty Unfortunately, in Africa. Yeah. yeah. But your job is to be Christ to those around you, any more, any less, and you're sinning. So, sow in your tears, go out reaping in joy. Like, that's it. Interesting. Yeah. And how did you? So, you've seen some pretty crazy shit, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. How did you process through that? So, I've, I've spent 14 years overseas collectively in yeah. my life. I've seen a lot of stuff similar to that. I've seen people get killed right in front of me and mm -hmm. all sorts of other stuff. And it's been difficult to process through that. It's been right. difficult to make me not cynical of everything and everyone around me. Right. Right. I come back to the U S I live here and I just want to judge everyone for every little tiny thing that they whine about. Right. Or that they complain about. Yeah. So how do you think through that? A lot of people listening probably have gone on trips like that, or have, maybe some of them have seen things similar to that. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you, how did you process through it? And do you think you did a good job or is it still like a struggle for you or what? Um, yeah, I definitely went through what I call my angry American phase, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, where I'm just like, everything around me is just like grotesque and annoying. And I, I was living as if I had this like extra enlightenment to the world because sure. I saw this hard thing, but then I came back to my cushy, perfect life. Um, and then I, and I felt guilty for it. You know, like I remember one trip I went on. I came back and a week later it was my roommate's wedding and so I had to buy a dress and I was like grabbing onto the clothing rack because I'm like I can't pay $30 for this dress like wow. that's like food for a week for the sure. you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. like comparing everything and I think what what it came down to for me and this was after a while was um learning that your anger directed at people who don't know isn't helpful. Yeah. You're not helping anyone. Sure, right. And your sense of like self-righteousness at like that knowledge. The unenlightened. Right. It's yeah. not helping yeah. anyone. And so really like all that, the whole Africa story to say, like that's kind of what got me into photography in the first place was I came back and I had all these stories. Um, and I had like a tiny point and shoot camera with me, but, uh, people paid more attention to the photos that I took than the stories that I had to tell. So I was mm. like, well, how can I like show? And you know, I wasn't, they're not great photos. Like there's portraits, but it's like, I tried to show people as they were not like the starving, dirty child in the dirt, but like, and I learned this now, like changing your angle, getting down on their level. It's like showing them as a person, like they're going through this, wow. but yeah but change your perspective on it's like they're a human, not a project. And um, so coming back, I started focusing more on like showing these photos of people and talking about the stories of what's going on with them. And I think in that sharing of these stories versus like 
oh, like, you don't know what it's like for that poor right. villager. You know, like, it's not, I don't know. I really think it's learning to see people as people and not not some project to get money. And unfortunately, especially in, like, humanitarian world, like, those, like, sad fly-covered children, or right. that's what gets money to do things. But it's not always showing people with dignity. Yeah. And um, anyway, so that's kind of how... But I, I know when I, especially when I came back from Africa in 05, like I, I didn't cope well. I just kind of closed up and, hmm. and I had friends that like, I remember in our debriefing, they're like, have a 30 second elevator answer for people like, oh, how's Africa? You know? And then like your five minute right. answer, but then have your like 30 plus minute answer for those few people that will sit down and just they really want to like, know, get it out. Yeah. And so I had like my mom and then a few close friends of mine from school that would just let me sit and talk and mourn and not not have answers like they never tried to help me they just listened and that was huge especially like working like mentally working through that and then i remember this was um yeah this was like winter 2005 and we were i was saving up money to go back to africa for two weeks over winter break at school and um, my roommate, who is also a missions major, and she's actually a um, full-time missionary in Montenegro right now, but uh, she was like, so what are you going to do when you get there? I was like, I'm going to like work at the orphanage and help people. And she's like, don't you think they could use all that money more than they could use you? Mm. And I was just like flabbergasted. Like, how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> um, but she was right. Yeah. She was right. And I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned, especially in what I do, is like nobody needs you. Right. And that is a humbling thing. Yep. Um, nobody needs you and you're not the hero. So what are you gonna do about that? It's huge. Yeah. And um being able it's a privilege. Like I recognize that as it's a privilege to do what I do and to yeah. work with the people that I work with. And it's working with people, not for people. And that's been a huge realization in my life with what I do. Um, it's taking like you as the hero and the savior out because that's not your role. Um, we each have gifts and we each have a role to play, but like realizing the world doesn't rest on your shoulders is huge and it frees you to actually do what you're gifted at and to relate hmm. to people on a person level, not a God looking down on his subjects level. Sure. Um, yeah, and um, I remember the next year, 2006, I was, I was a sophomore in college. I was like, I'm going to drop out of college, and I'm going to go help Africa. Literally, <laughs> that was my plan. <laughs> and, help, uh, help the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was talking to my good friend, Jesse, who is now Andrea's husband. Great team, power couple. Um, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to drop out. I'm going to go over to Africa and help. And... Um, he told me this story from this speaker. Um, I think it's like Norman Geisler or something. I need to be better about my quotes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was after psychology class one day and we went and sat down and I was telling him how I was just like, I hated being here. I didn't feel like I belonged at school anymore. Like the whole like yeah. enlightened state where nobody gets it. Really, it's like the allegory of Plato's cave where it's like, you're, you've spent your whole life seeing shadows. Sure. And then you go out and you've seen light and you're blinded by light and you see the real world and you touch real things, but then you're expected to go back into the cave and pretend like nothing yep. that happened. And it wasn't a dream, it was a reality and your reality's changed. That's how I felt. And, um, but Jesse told me this story. It's like two men are threshing wheat in a field. There's an old man and a young, a young man and a storm's coming and they have to get the weed in before it's destroyed by the storm. So the young man's just like hacking away passionately, trying to get this wheat cut. But the old man stops to sharpen his sickle. Mm. And the young's like, what are you doing? We don't have time. And he's just like, it's better to be sharp and accurate than hack away sure. as, as much as you can. Yeah. And um, That's huge. Yeah, and that story kind of changed my perspective. It's like, okay, I have this passion, that, but that, and that's good and necessary, but passion dies away. But like skill and refinement can help people far better than my short-lived fiery passion right. to go help Africa. Right. So that that's what made me stay in college, even though I didn't want to. Um, and I do have my degree now, which is 
which is great. Um, I guess I am technically using my degree in photojournalism, but you know, a lot of a lot of money and a lot of time later, I'm like, well, but sure. But looking back, like the connections I made, like right. I can pinpoint chronologically, like I met this person and then this happened and then this happened. Yeah. Um, as much as I'd love to be like one of those choose your own ending books, like what happened if I did drop out to help Africa? Right. Like maybe I would be doing something similar because I feel like we all have that calling in us, but circumstantially staying in school led me to one thing or another to where I am today. Yeah. Malcolm so. Gladwell talks about college and school, higher education as like, it's not about the classes. You can go mm -hmm. read a book on that subject and learn just as much. Right. It's about the the five of you or the six of you or the 10 of you sitting around the dorm room after yeah. talking about it yeah. and really getting it out. It's not about necessarily what happens in the classroom. So I totally get, even though I dropped out of school to go work and pursue stuff, yeah. I totally see. Yeah. That. And it's not for everybody. Yeah, I right. get that. But like, I'm, I'm grateful for the time I had there. And, and for me, I feel like it's the difference of, um, you're holding a flashlight and like, that beam straight ahead is illuminated versus being in school, you have a lantern. And so you get to see more of the peripheral and what else is out there. Yep. And you're kind of illuminated in that way. Yep. Um, like, you know, things and ideas I would have never thought of are like, Oh, I don't need this. Sure. Like, and so you bypass it versus being required to open your mind mm -hmm. up to new things. And, um, so I am, I am grateful for that. I'm grateful. I didn't drop out to go help Africa. Yeah. Um, yeah. totally. Because in the long run, you're more prepared. Yeah, more prepared, I'm more refined, and I feel like I have more to offer. And my passion is still there. It's it's less of a firework and more of like a steady burning fire that sometimes the coals need to be stoked. Yeah. I speak in a lot of word pictures. I like so it. Sorry if I lose No, 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 I like it. I like it. <laughs> okay. So, great. Thank you for sharing that part of your story. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I believe that everything that happened to you formed you and shaped you for what you've been doing the last five years. So tell us about this whole podcast. This whole show is about giving a damn about needs and things around people around us instead of looking over them, walking over them, moving past it. And so yep. tell me about this specific area in your life where you've given a damn picture change, mm -hmm. something you've been doing for the last five years. Yep. Tell me all about that. The why's, the what's, the how's. Okay. Um, so I remember in 2006, I saw this documentary called born into brothels. And it was about this woman, Zaina Brisky, who was a photojournalist, and she had been documenting the lives of red light district workers in Calcutta, India, like mm. over the course of years. Um, so much so that after the second year there, she gained their trust and ended up moving into the brothel with these women in India. Oh wow! To document like their like intimate personal life, which at the time, well, still is. Um, prostitution's illegal, but it's like a Still huge rampant. industry. Yeah. yeah. So while she was living in the brothel, she met all of the children of these prostitutes that lived in the brothels with them. And because of who they were and where they came from, they couldn't go to school. So basically they were set up to go into the line when mm -hmm. like the girls were 13, 14, the boys would be the pimps and the drug dealers and serve alcohol. And that was their life. That was their option. And so not option. That was it. That was it. And so she ended up, she noticed that they were interested in her camera. So she got a few disposable film cameras and started teaching basic lessons. And anyway, after this whole, I won't say the whole documentary, you should watch it. Um, but I saw this and it's like, she taught photography to kids. Someone heard about her. She was able to auction off some of their work at Sotheby's auction house in New York. Wow. And they got to tell their own story through their photography. Photos that she would have never been able to get because she's this white foreigner. So I was just like, oh my gosh, like that's what I want to do. But that was 2006. I was still in school. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, so really it wasn't until I graduated December 2008 from college. Um, and a couple months later, my friend Joel, who runs a inner city nonprofit outside of Pittsburgh, um, he called me. He's like, hey, can you come up and do a born in a brothel thing up here in Pittsburgh? And I was like, what? I don't know. Like, uh, kids scare me. Don't want to be a teacher. I don't know how. Hmm. Like, I have a photojournalism degree. I can take pictures. I can't talk about taking pictures. He's like, just try it. And um, so in the process of me talking to friends about it, they're like, hey, I'll go if you go. I'm like, all right. 
So I inadvertently started arts camp um, with Aliquippa Impact um, in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Uh, my friend Aaron came and taught music. My friend Ethan came and taught painting. I taught photography. And coming from no background and no training, I became head of the arts program of five employees and 32 kids. No big deal. Yeah. Oh, it was ter- not terrible. It was terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> I was completely unprepared, not trained, didn't know what to do. Um, yeah, but I was surrounded by great people um, like Joel and his staff at Aliquippa that worked there full time with the students doing a lot of mentoring. And um, yeah, they did a lot of like educational mentoring, but they had no arts element. And that's why he asked me to come up. And um, yeah, so I built a curriculum off of YouTube videos and books <laughs> hmm. um, and taught three classes a week to nine to 15 year olds. Um, and then I would take them out individually throughout the week. And it was to date the most difficult thing I've done. Um, being responsible for these students, not knowing what I was doing, um, and working in a tough area, like one of this, some of the students friends, he was killed in a drive by shooting, walking home from school. Um, there's a lot of gang issues. Um, some mafia people were up there, a lot of like prostitution, drug trafficking, um, through this little town. Um, yeah, police stuff that we see today. I, I experienced that and saw that and like, um, like boiling with rage thinking about it now. But, but all of the people that we worked with in the town, they're like, like I could walk down the street and feel safe there because everybody knew like, Oh, they're here to help our people, like our kids. So like, and like, I had this one woman come up and like hand me cash for, she's like, we got you, baby. I was like, thanks. (laughs) Um, So it all in all, like it was so tough teaching these classes and having to discipline and discipline and discipline because the kids had all these issues at home that they would take out on you in class. But Joel, like in Aliquippa Impact, they had a rule, like you never give up on a kid ever. If you have to discipline or send them out, you walk them home and talk to them with their parent or guardian. Hmm. So like I'd get, I'd be getting home at like nine o'clock at night after class, after like going around and talking to all these kids. But it's like, it taught you to never give up on someone, never turn your back on someone, even if it's a really difficult situation. And, um, so between that and then taking, so in class it was really tough. But then when I took the kids out individually, that's when I like saw it. Oh, sure. And it was like, they had permission to be creative and you're providing a safe place for them to be inquisitive and curious and be themselves with the camera. Like we didn't have to talk. We rarely talked. So I didn't know everything that was going on in their lives, but like to see how they took pictures or like what they wanted to photograph or how they would photograph themselves in the shards of broken glass on the ground as a nine year old. It's like, what is that saying about them? And then we had a big gallery show at this local coffee shop and like, for, like it's like the, probably the first time all summer the kids were quiet because they were just smiling and so proud the whole time. So oh, I, like, I can okay, imagine. This is what I want to do. But what does that look like again? And um, so after that, I moved back to my tiny college town of Boiling Springs, North Carolina, worked in a coffee shop because I didn't know what I wanted to do <laughs> and like I didn't know how, what that looked like. So... Yeah, moving back to your college town after you graduated was weird. And then shortly after that, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I was just going to stay for a few months, but I ended up staying for two years. Um, doing little league football and yearbook photography so mm. I could pay rent. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, during that whole time, it was like cool to hang out. But it's like you have this burning desire in you, but you don't know what that looks like. Like... Practically, what does that look like? And um, yeah, so I would like, I would try to get involved and do more teaching stuff, but I just really didn't, I just didn't know. So I took yearbook photos of little children um, until 2011, or no, 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 sorry, end of 2010. Um, I went home to visit my mom and uh, went to church with her this one morning, and there's this missionary from Nicaragua speaking. And I really felt like I needed to go up and talk to him after. And I had January and February off from my photography job. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, like, I'm a photographer. I got some free time. Like, can I come to Nicaragua and take photos of what you're doing down there? 
He's like, yeah, sure. So, I mean, they said they'd cover food and lodging and I would just have to pay for my plane ticket. So I was like, cool. So I went down for what was supposed to be a couple weeks. And while I was there, that's like everything changed. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, well, maybe I'll just teach a few kids. So I brought like five crappy digital cameras down with me. And, um, yeah, I went and I met Rosa, who is my translator and one of my first students hmm. um, and my same age and ended up staying for two and a half months. Oh, wow. And had 17 students that we had to split into different classes. And that was the start of picture change. Um, yeah, it was supposed to be just like a humanitarian photography trip. But in that and in taking like... In traveling as a humanitarian photographer after college, I get so not annoyed. I don't know the word. Um, I saw where I would come in and tell a story in a certain amount of time, and in a lot of cases where people need aid or money, like that's very necessary. Hmm. But I was frustrated when I could see how me as this like ignorant foreigner coming in and telling a side of a story versus the local people who are living in it, like they were more than capable of telling these stories themselves. Sure. They just lacked education and resources. And so that trip to Nicaragua, that's where it changed for me because I, I was there to take pictures of what was happening. But as I lived in this village and got to know the people there, it's like, oh, they're more than capable of telling it. So in my own small way, I started providing education and resources. I had these crappy cameras. Right. I knew how to teach yeah. kind of. Um, and Rosa, like she's, I mean, I could talk for hours about her. <laughs> she's such a badass self-starter. And um, she was like, she was like primed and ready. It's not like I had to teach her how to start a business or teach her how to teach. Like she just kind of like, oh, here that's it is, awesome. picked it up. And now that's what she's doing with her life as well in Nicaragua. Even if you left, that's, yeah. that's what she does. Yeah. So I ended up leaving all of the camera, like the five cameras with her. Um, and she, she continued it. She kept teaching and she, I gave her, I had this old Canon 30D. That was my first camera. And I was like, she needs it more than I do. So I left it with her. And, um, and that's what she started taking pictures of. She started taking ID photos for the fishermen. It's a tiny fishing village on the coast. So she started taking ID photos getting hired to shoot weddings, quinceañeras, wow. all that. And no one, there wasn't a photographer in the community, so she did it all. Um, and eventually someone had donated a photo printer, so I had it sent down there with another emissions group going down. So she was able to like be her own studio from her family's like hut, basically. That's um, amazing. And yeah, and she was making money. She was charging super cheap prices, but that was like what the people of the area could afford. And um, so now she's like known as the photographer and over the past five years, I've been down to visit quite a few times. I'm actually going in a few weeks again. I'm so excited. Um, How long are you going for this time? I'll be there for three weeks. Okay. Um, I'm like ruined as a tourist. Like I have to like, <laughs> I always feel like I have to have a purpose or get involved locally somehow. Which sure. No. Maybe yeah. that's a problem, but whatever. Um, Anyway, yeah, so Rosa has since been hired by, there's a company, a solar company in New York that contacted me and said, hey, we are sending some solar lanterns down there and we need a local person. Do you know anyone? I was like, sure do. So Rosa got paid like New York wages to work. And she's like, I made more in three days than I make in six months. <laughs> like, that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And she was able to do that because she had... She had the education and the resources and she's very passionate about like helping her people. Like she's passed up scholarships to college, like all this stuff. Cause she's like, I need to be here and help my own people. Um, so to see that passion in her, it's like, okay, like I don't want to create this whole new method of doing things. I want to find out what culturally is acceptable and what works for you and, um, and what is sustainable in your culture. Yeah. So that's really what picture change has become. Um, so now I tell people like I'm not a photographer anymore. Sometimes I get to pick up my camera and take sure. pictures, but really I'm trying to figure out how to run a business with this nonprofit, how to figure out culturally sustainable methods in all these different 
places, um, how to communicate with others and tell these stories, how to be an agent for my students. Cause I'll like negotiate jobs for them. Um, yeah, I do all those things and I'm rarely a photographer anymore, but it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, after I got back from Nicaragua that first time, it's like, okay, this is it. I finally figured it out after 2006 seeing the movie, then 2009 teaching. It was like, it wasn't until 2011 that I finally like figured it out. And so it's like, okay. Yeah, how could this tangibly look? Yes. It's like, so this is what I love. This is what I want to do. But now what? And I looked, I don't know, I've volunteered with quite a few different nonprofits. Um, and I've seen a lot of really well-intentioned people do really harmful things because they didn't have knowledge and yeah. they weren't prepared for it. Um, and they did what they thought was best, but then there's, you get burnt out and you hurt people trying to help or, and then inevitably you hurt the people you're trying to help. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. Like that's the last thing I want to do. So it like, I don't want to start this if I'm going to, if I see that happening. Sure. Um, so I looked, I've looked, blah, blah, blah. I look for other people doing, who, who are already doing what I wanted to do. Hmm. Cause I figured instead of like starting this whole thing and like dividing resources, like I could just join someone else already doing it. And there were a few people doing similar things, but not exactly what I wanted as far as not just teaching photography, but being a sustainable thing in that community. Right. Um, like bringing up local photographers. So, so I was like, well, I don't know. I don't want to have to be like a 501c3 and blah, blah, blah. And then within like a few weeks, I had someone say like, hey, I'm a web designer. Can I make a website for you? And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. And then um, my friend Joy Mack, she works at a for-profit organization that starts nonprofits. And she's like, Kate, you know what I do, right? I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to take, she's like, just ask me. I was like, will you help me get my 501c3? She's like, sure. So her company did it pro bono for me. That's amazing. Yeah. Like thousands of dollars of work. And like, I mean, we still had to pay like all the government fees and tax right. things and whatever. But, um, so but they did it. That's the key part. Uh, after 13 long months, oh, wow. they, uh, approved Finally. Us. Oh gosh. Yeah. So that was like nonprofit purgatory of like, well, we're going to be a nonprofit, so it'll probably be tax deductible, right. but yep. maybe not. And so I've been a part of that many times. Blech. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I tell people I love what I do, but I hate running a nonprofit. Mm. Um, I was talking to Jeremy Coward about this the other day. You have, and this is where I'm at now after five years and seven projects. Um, you have, to always be reminded of the reason you started it. Sure. 100%. And you, it's like the difference of like holding on to these balloons. Like you have all these dreams and ideas and ambition, but then simultaneously you're holding on to all these anchors, these practical things that make your dreams happen. And I'm in the process. I feel now of kind of being torn by both. Um, growing pains. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's all, there's like, just kind of all the nonprofit junk, like trying to figure out how to make a website and run social media and tell these stories and um, have a log, an archive of photos and like keywords for your students and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And the, um, copywriting um, every organization I want to work with. I have to run it through this anti-terrorism list with the government, like all these things I had no idea right. about. Um but then I look, it's like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I still behind my computer for hours and hours and hours and responding to email after email after email? Um, like, why am I doing it? And in the end, it's like, this is for my kids. Um, my like 50 plus students that I've had over the past few years, like seeing that spark and that change in them, um, getting excited about photography and they now have the ability to tell their own story and the story of their community. Um, to communicate without words with the world. Because um, there's been a lot of different like languages and cultures I've worked with, but uh, I remember there was, um, I was in India in 2012 working with formerly trafficked women. 
and I was editing photos from Nicaragua and one of my Mangala, one of the students came down and she was looking at the photos and she's like, where is this? And so I was like, oh, it's Nicaragua, it's across the world, like different culture, different language, people, all that. But she saw, you know, like women cooking over an open fire, kids playing in dirt streets, like animals roaming around, photos my students had taken. And she just shook, shakes her head. She's like, no, they're the same as us. Hmm. And I was like, wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's like she she recognized that. And in every project I've done, they always want to hear about people in past projects. And um, I had the opportunity to work with refugees here in Nashville from Eastern Asia and teach photography to them and hear their stories. But then last, that was two years ago. And then this year I was in Montenegro working in a Roma gypsy refugee community. And all of these refugee women wanted to hear about other refugee women from all over the world. Crazy. Like, have you worked with refugees before? I was like, yeah, they're from Asia. But they're like, like what is it like? What is it like for them? How do they wash their clothes? Like all this, all these questions. And so mm. I get to see how photography as communication with that words gets to unify people. And really it's kind of answering the questions like you're not alone in this with whatever village, whatever city, town situation you're going through. And it's, I think it's like broadening those horizons for other people, extending the light from that lantern of like, knowledge and understanding that you're not you're not walking through it alone and that's like my students doing that through their photography so in the end that's why i'm behind my computer forever yeah. and um and recently we've gotten some like my mom does a lot of the um financial donation aspect which i suck at math so i'm so glad for her i'm so grateful for her um and then a couple other people have come alongside and started helping like wow, your files are a mess. Like, cause I have uh, on my computer or on my, with picture change, there's been over, I'd say over 13,000 photos taken for picture change. And that's a lot to keep up with. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So she's kind of helping to come in and like create like an archive. Full days. And, and, yep, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just yeah like, organize it a little bit. Yeah. Cause my brain does not work that way. And so I'm so grateful for her coming in and helping out where she can. And so it's, slowly bringing more people in and and this is what i've seen in other nonprofits um and other nonprofit founders like you have this vision and this creation and it's like your baby and it's part of you and hmm. it they become so intertwined with what they do that they kind of lose themselves in it sure so when it's time to grow or hand it off to someone else they can't because it is them yep and so I've seen that and I've seen things go south really fast. Um, so from the beginning, I've tried to create a separate entity of picture change so picture change can grow because I know it's a good thing and I've seen it change people's lives and I don't, I don't want it to define me, but I want it to be a tool instead. Um, so I am learning how to let my baby go yeah. <laughs> in a way and bring yeah. other people in yeah. because those people bring in their experience and influence. And maybe it's not exactly what I think is right, but it's like learning to accept that um, because that's where growth and change comes yeah, in. Yeah. hundred percent. I would encourage you. Yeah. To continue yeah. <laughs> inviting people into that process because you'll still, this is still your vision and your dream. Mm -hmm. You'll still get to run with that. Yeah. Um, and if you lead well, people will follow that vision but then they get to bring in their stuff that they're really good at that you're not and who knows you know you can never tell the future that you know you can't change the past but maybe things are going to change drastically when you bring in a, a different team this right. thing's going to grow and i know to become more self-sustaining and right. all that stuff so right. that's really cool yeah um so i really i mean my my vision for picture change now like i would love to work myself out of a job and not be in charge of the nonprofit anymore um i still want to go like i feel more comfortable being dropped into the middle of the jungle with no resources and being like okay go start something i can do that but like being in charge of this and being like the public face of it and everything like i'm not as comfortable with that but that's what is required of me right now um so really um my ideal like my five-year vision is uh i'd love to i'd love to create a like a standard curriculum for picture change 
because I've never been a teacher or trained how to be a teacher. Um, I was in drama for 12 years, so I can write a script. So right now, all of my lesson plans are scripts for myself, which that's not easy for someone else to come right. and pick up. So I really want help like developing a like a picture change curriculum. Like here's who picture change is, and it's not, and here's how we do things. Right. And, like lay a foundation for other people to build on. Yeah. Because so huge. many, yeah, like in Nashville, all over the place, there's so many talented photographers. They just kind of need a name and a structure because they don't want to start their own thing. And I You've get done that. It. It's hard. It yeah. sucks sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I want to like lay that foundation for people um, like in a like and have standards and like a standard of quality and how we work, how we work with our students and the community. Um, so I want to have that. So I want I'd love to have a bunch of different projects going on. Um, I'm trying to bring Rosa from Nicaragua to projects we do in the future, whether that's Europe, Africa, Asia. Like I would love, I love like mixing cultures up because in this like world of globalization where people can connect with people all over the world and villages, wherever, um, I'd love to like start bringing groups of students from one community to another community. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, then they're taking, then they're taking photos and learning in an environment other than their own, mm -hmm. which you know, and I know firsthand that that's helpful to be taken yeah. out of our, our fish tank and put into another for a while totally. to see the differences. Um, and that's what's happened with me. Like I've, I've had the privilege of doing that and seeing all these different cultures and like, I mean, completely expanding my worldview and how I live my life as a global citizen, um, whatever jargon you want to use. But, uh, yeah, so I'd love to do that. Have multiple projects going on. Um, have picture change be self-sustaining so I don't have to do some sort of like Indiegogo fundraising campaign for every project. Sure. Um, I'm working a part-time job teaching now so I can survive and buy groceries and pay rent. But I'd love to like be able to devote everything to growing picture change. Um, supporting my... That's one reason I'm going back to Nicaragua is like I've been there four times. I have quite a few different students down there. I want to go back and like see what their needs are and how can I help them continue being a photographer in their community um, or getting jobs or if they're not sure how to like, what do you do with this F stop or whatever? Like just to be there. So um, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you're amazing. Thanks, <laughs> thanks. for, thanks yeah, for no, sharing yeah. that. What, what you did was you just answered like four questions all in one, which I'm yeah. very, I'm very grateful for uh -huh. because I've interviewed, um, a couple other guys for this project so far uh -huh. and the interviews were amazing they're good friends of mine i love them to death but like most i'm not going to lump all men into this but like most men it was like so what do you do and why do you do it and it was like boom 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 and you i think the listeners are going to find it very helpful because you described all the ups and the downs and Ooh. gave a little bit longer of a picture of like if you pursue that nag that's in your heart if you pursue that thing that won't leave you alone this is what it's going to look like mm -hmm. and it's it's it's, it's, not, it's, instant it's not instant right mm -hmm. so yeah 2006 to 2016 this is a 10 11 year in the making dream that is still not even sustaining you full time yeah. so this is a really good realistic look at what it's going to take for people to change the world if people start giving a damn about their fellow man fellow woman it is not going to be an overnight thing nothing's overnight anyway we have this illusion like we're always comparing our blooper reel to everyone else's highlight reel and that <laughs> yeah. sucks as it is but it's not overnight mm -hmm. and this is going to take some time and so at the same time that i want to encourage everyone listening to have their give a damn moment and never return from it uh -huh. i also want to give them a realistic look at what it's going to take yeah and really it's like pursuing what you love is it really comes down to choosing your sacrifice. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice for this thing you love? And like mine is, you know, having a stable savings account. Sure. And for the longest time, it's like one of my dreams was to have, I love collecting coffee table books, like a photography and stories. And, but it's like, I don't have a coffee table to put all my coffee table books on. And <laughs> not until, I mean, I moved to Nashville three years ago. Um, and that's been, that's been a huge step for me because before I was living somewhere else every four months, like I had two suitcases. Most of my things were at my parents' house in boxes. Um, and that was, that was a great way to live, but I was like a lonely tumbleweed with no roots. Um, 
So Nashville's provided that community and that support for me. So I can go out and do that and do what I love. And, um, but it's not like, I don't know, like a lot of times your passion, I said earlier, it's like, it's a firework, but you want to learn how do you make that a slow burner? Yeah. Because that lasts longer. Um, and then too, like, find if someone like find people who are already doing what you're doing and learn from them um and maybe that means you start your own thing maybe that means you join someone else um and you know both of those have their pros and cons and that's fine um but i think really it's like like what are the resources that you have and what can you do with that versus like yeah, like you said, like comparing yourself to everyone else. Um, there's another organization that's somewhat similar to mine. And it's like, I was so down the other day because I saw, I'm happy for them because they're doing great work. But it's like, Lenny Kravitz just donated like $25,000 to them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I get excited when we get a $50 check in the mail. I'm stoked. <laughs> like, so it's like, yeah. It, it, yeah. Oh, and this is also what I've learned. It's like, learning to use your available resources, but allowing yourself to dream bigger. Cause I, but in the past I would figure out like, okay, we need exactly this much to do this project. And my friends like ask for more money. Ask for more than that. Like yeah. do you can do bigger things if you're not struggling to survive yourself. And yeah, so it's, it is, it's a process, but it's like something I love and I want to keep going. So part of that is like, self-care like what do you need but then really it's figuring out how do you fit into this bigger picture um that's good yeah (laughs) no that's great that's super helpful and you kind of answered this next question but Mm -hmm. i want to ask you in a more pointed way to see if you have anything to share for for right before we we're about to finish we've got a couple couple (laughs) questions left there may be no i love it there may be people listening to this podcast that just want to hear great stories and that's totally fine they listen to your story kate's story bucky's story jeremy's story others Oh, I'm so inspired. But I suspect the majority want to do something that changes the world. Mm -hmm. Can you give some practical steps to the listeners? Very practical, succinct things they can do today. Somebody that's out there listening to Kate's story and saying, man, I want to do that. I've got this thing. I can do that. I'm in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Can you give some practical steps, two or three, to the listeners on how they can do that? Um, Yeah. I remember um, when I started majoring in photojournalism, I was like always ready to go overseas and capture a story somewhere exciting. But our teacher, I mean, I lived in like a tiny one stoplight town in college, but our teachers like find, find a story at home. Like if you can't find a story that's right in front of you, what makes you think you're going to find a story overseas? Wow. Yeah. The story's everywhere. Yeah. And so that really made me like kind of like stop and appreciate where I was. I wasn't in like some big, exciting place. But it, it is learning to like be more sensitive to detail and appreciate what's around you. And so uh, like not everyone can go overseas for three months or travel all over the right. place and get the best Instagram photos or yeah. anything like that. But really it's like like opening your eyes Just to pay attention. Yeah, pay attention to what's around you and start small. Don't be afraid to start small. Um, that's a huge thing. I don't know. One of my one of my heroes in life is Dan Eldon, and he he was a photojournalist that was killed in Mogadishu in the early '90s. But he was the youngest photographer for Reuters, and um, he has a great book. His his mom and his sister started Creative Visions Foundation in mm. California, and I've got to meet them and have lunch with his mom and tell her about Picture Change, and that was like my big celebrity moment. That's was awesome. meeting Dan Eldon's mom, Kathy. But Dan Eldon has a quote, the journey is the destination. So like, That's amazing. don't focus on the end, like have that as a dream. Yeah. But like, like appreciate the process of what it takes to get there. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's been a long one. I mean, I was a little league football photographer for two years. <laughs> like yeah. it's not, it's not always like the big, the big moments. It's learning to appreciate those little things that's around you. Well, and the huge, um, the huge part about what you just said about the journey is that it really does. It doesn't ever end. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I read a quote the other day that said, "Don't, don't be afraid to engage in work that never ends." Yeah, because the the end. Yeah, the end is so. 
this journey is going to last our whole life, right? Uh-huh. Hopefully yeah. of helping people, loving people, giving a damn that whatever that, however that takes shape, whether this becomes a full-time job, this big organization or something small that you do with your kids on the weekend, hopefully it never ends. And so learning to enjoy it and learning to like take it slow and be intentional with the things around you is super key. Because again, if you're focused on the end, you're going to hate the process and the end really never comes because there is no end to loving people, helping them, teaching like that. Right. It's not like you're trying. Yeah. It doesn't ever end. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. And then also, um, I remember I was, I was talking with my good friend, Austin Mann. Um, you should also a brilliant photographer. You should interview him sometime. He's great. Okay. But he was telling me, um, it was, he just has so much wisdom, but it was, um, they're interviewing like the top, CEOs of these major companies that started very small and like the common thread between all of them in these interviews was in the beginning they weren't afraid to do like like they weren't afraid to do all the work so they could be the CEO at the desk or they could be the janitor like Mm. cleaning the bathrooms Mm. and if you are above any job that needs to be done then it's not gonna that's huge Yeah, and so it's like, okay, like I need to be the person that spends a few hours packaging up t-shirts to ship or waiting in line at the post office or communicating with people. And you know, it, it is it is a lot. Um, and I wish I were better at communicating with people. So if you sent me a message, I'm sorry if I haven't responded. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's the difference between boss and a leader, right? Right. Like the yeah, boss will sit yeah. up on the pedestal and speak down to the inferior worker bees below right. versus the leader who's right there. Yeah. So I think, yeah, learning, learning to appreciate the process, um, living humbly and moving forward in that, not being afraid to do the work that needs to be done. Um, and then, yeah, connect, like connecting yourself to people who are already on that path, um, whether that's a mentor or like if you have a friend in school or someone that has similar passions, like figure out what that looks like together um be like be open to reading books watching youtube videos um going out and volunteering even if it's not like you want to like gosh in nashville we have a huge refugee population so people want to help what's going on over there but we have the world here in nashville or i mean i'm sure wherever you're listening from like there's always those needs to be filled um so like kind of put oh There's a really great quote by Annie Dillard. Oh, man, Annie Dillard, one of my favorite authors. She has this quote, beauty and grace are performed whether or not we feel or sense them. The least we could do is try to show up. And so it's like putting yourself in those places where beauty and grace or your passion or your calling are being performed. Like showing up is is it. Um, And I feel like, like, from the beginning, like when Joel asked me to come be a teacher, I wasn't qualified. And right. there is something to be said about having proper training. But it's like, if I said no because I was scared, then who knows what I'd be doing. Yeah, and this is why this is what I admire about you, is that in this interview and what we're able to communicate today to the listeners, most people would have given up nine years ago. Right. They, yeah. <laughs> they, they would have, they would have said, this is great. I want to help out people this way. I saw this documentary. It moved me. And then the first couple obstacles they encountered, they would have said, you know what? My nine to five is just fine. And here you are 10 years later, proof that this is what you're supposed to be doing. It might change shape yeah. as you get older, like it, but th- you are doing what you're supposed to be doing because you're still at it 10 mm-hmm. years later, despite it not becoming a full-time thing yet, or despite not everything going your way right. uh, through the process. So that's a key thing that I want to communicate through all Let's Give a Damn shows and everything that we do is I want to make sure everybody knows it's not going to be easy. No, not And <laughs> you have to just do it. You have to just start doing it. And you're not going to be qualified. You're never really actually, qual- you know, there's always, even if you get to the next level, there are things on that level that you don't know. And then you get to the next level and there are things on that level. So we're never really like fully qualified and like, oh, I know everything about this. So you just have to go do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, for me, it kind of came down to, it's like, okay, like this is the most logical thing I could do. Even when it didn't make sense. Like, 
And my parents, bless them. They've been, I mean, they've been so supportive even when they didn't get it. It's like, mm. okay. Um, so it's like, but in my mind, like this was the most logical thing. Like I can't leave Nicaragua after two weeks. I need to stay for two and a half months. That, that made sense to me because I knew that's what needed to be done. And, and then it's like, I always like kind of, you draw the bottom line for yourself. It's like, if I'm not doing this, then what's the alternative? Like, I don't have a choice anymore. Like I've been pulled into this path and this is the path I'm walking on. And now these are the people that I'm connected to. Like in my mind, if I stop working on this, if I get like, if I'm just like, I'm done with this in my mind, I, this is how, maybe this isn't healthy, but this is how I have to do it. Like I'm putting food on my kid's table. Like I've seen my students. I know where they come from and their background. Like most I would say all of my students know what it's like to literally be starving at one point in their life. And if I can work hard and build this website and learn HTML coding and whatever to sell their photos or to sell t-shirts, and I I always send the money back to them for photos they sell. So Mm -hmm. literally, it's like I can literally put food on my kid's table. And mama's got to feed her kids. So that's kind of how I view it as a bottom line. Like if I stop... And again... Not that I'm the hero, but our lives are connected now in Nicaragua and India here in Nashville with refugees, with refugees in Montenegro. Like I'm so connected to my students. So I'm like, I have to keep working for them because what's the alternative? And, um, and you know, I, I could stop, I could go do another job. I could do all these things like, and my life would be okay. Um, this isn't the do all end all, but I have the privilege of pursuing my calling and my passion. And so I'm trying to figure out what does that look like and go through the crappy times and, uh, yeah, let me figure it out. It's amazing. Uh, let's wrap this up. Okay. Yeah. I have a last question oh, yeah. and then a last, last question. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The last question, I'm going to paint a scenario for this last question. Okay. When you die, mm-hmm. which hopefully won't for, be for a very long time, yes, I'm going to give your eulogy, okay. your family, your friends, your the kids that you've impacted. Everyone's there. Your fans, they're all there. What do you want in three to four sentences? What do you want me to say? What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, I'm sweating at that question. Um, this... This was Kate Gasaway. Um, she was never without a friend, never without a place to lay her head or provide a place for someone else who needed it. Um, she went forward in life with an open heart and open hands. And was the catalyst for a lot of major reactions and actions in the world. It's amazing. Oh, <laughs> if that's your eulogy, I think well done. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. That's super good. That's super good. <laughs> I love it. Last, last question. Where can people check out more about you and what you're doing? Oh, man. That's an easy question. Um, well, we have our website. It's picture hyphen change.org picture dash change.org um we're on instagram tumblr twitter facebook it's all at picture change um and that that's where um rosa co-runs our instagram from nicaragua um with a donated iphone that someone gave her um from the website, the Picture Change website, you can see all past student photos. You can purchase them. You can buy T-shirts, and that money all goes back to help the students and help run Picture Change. Um, we do. I am. Tr- I. I get emails from people all the time wanting to get involved, and it, and I love that. But right now, it's like I don't know where sure. to put people, and so I I feel so bad because I don't want. I love. I'm so humbled that people want to be involved. But I just don't know what to do with that right now. Um, besides what we tell people is just like help us raise awareness, right. raise funding. And we need money. We can. Yeah. yeah, we need money. Gosh. Um, buy a t-shirt, whatever. Like, yeah. um, They're good looking t-shirts. Your, thanks. thanks. Um, tell your friends about it. 
um, we are trying to make it possible for people to come on trips with us in the future. Um, that just takes some strategy and planning. Um, and are you Kate Gasway on I'm social media? I'm Lady Kate Gasway. Lady Kate Gasway. My brothers called me that growing up, and that's, that's kind of stuck as a nickname. Yeah, so I'm Lady Kate Gasway on the internets. Um, yeah, uh, that's how people can find out what we're doing. Um, some of a lot of my students have their own Instagrams too, which is not all for their photography, but you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so the they they love. They love, my students love hearing from people. Um, and we do a lot of communication through Google Translate. So even if you just want to be like, hey, I want to write to one of Kate's students, like, that would be great. Like, they get so excited to hear from people that have seen their work. Um, yep. So that's, that's awesome. That's all that. Great. Well, this has been an honor. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining me here today. And I'm super excited to continue watching you and Picture Change grow and as you empower people to give a damn. Thanks, Have a good day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining Kate and I today for our conversation. Be sure to go follow Kate and Picture Change everywhere on social media. If you enjoyed our chat, go and let her know. Also, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. And ask your friends to listen and subscribe too. The more the merrier. You can follow Let's Give a Damn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to find out more about the show and other things we plan to implement very, very soon. And head on over to our Facebook page. Click on that sign up button to receive weekly emails containing amazing stories like the one you heard here today. Also, if you want, follow me at Nick Lapara on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat. Well, that's all for today. Can't wait to spend more time with you very soon, friends. And I urge you, even today, to begin giving a damn about the things around you that are wrong that you have the ability to help make right. Until next time. <laughs>